today I'm going to be concluding this very short two-part series of sermons, All Are Welcome. Last week we talked about how all means all. Today I want to talk about how welcome means welcome. But first, I need to do kind of a real crash course refresher of what we talked about last week. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And in the first chapters of the book of Acts, we see the disciples being witnesses in Jerusalem, gradually working their way into Judea. And the first converts to the Christian faith were primarily Jewish. And so in many ways, early Christianity was a movement within Judaism. It wasn't until persecution of Christians began that Christianity on Jerusalem and Judea. There was an up-and-coming Pharisee named Saul who started these persecutions. And with the start of those persecutions, Christians scattered some making their way into Samaria. After Saul oversaw the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, he then made his way to Samaria, to Damascus, to arrest Christians there. Meanwhile, they had been witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now, it was on the road to Damascus that Paul had an experience with the risen Jesus Christ. And that forever changed his life as he converted and became a Christian and then entered into a, a several-year period of preparation. It was during that time of his preparation that St. That Peter had the experience we talked about last week in the home of Cornelius, where he came to understand that God has no favorites, but all people of every nation are favored by God. And this was a big revelation for him. After all, he was a Jew, a chosen person of God, not to mention that he was the rock, the cornerstone on which Jesus would build his church. If anybody had reason to think that he, was, he or she was favored by God, it would be Peter. And he came to realize that God has no favorites, but all people are favored, are loved by God. Now, it's no coincidence that it was only after Peter had this experience that Paul launched out his mission to the Gentile world, starting churches in Gentile towns and converting lots of people. And what began as a movement within Judaism quickly became a multicultural church. But change is difficult, and church folks don't always do change very well. And so there's a group of Jewish Christians, I'm going to call them Judaizers, a group of Judaizers who didn't like the changes that were taking place in the church. They believed that that they were the chosen people of God and that for a Gentile to, to be chosen by God, they first had to become a Jew and then they could become a Christian. Remember, this all came to a head in Acts chapter 15. We talked about this last week when the Judaizers made their case. And then St. Peter shared the vision that he had and the experience that took place in the home of Cornelius and how he saw the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of these Gentile Christians and James, the brother of Jesus, the head of the church, ruled in favor of Peter's testimony that it was enough that the Gentiles believed in Jesus. Didn't need to add anything to the gospel. It was enough that they simply believed in Jesus. And then James did an interesting thing. And this is where we pick up this week. 
Because as he sent word to the Gentiles, he also sent some instructions that there were four things he wanted the Gentile Christians to do. And suddenly it began to sound as though James was adding something on to the gospel. Here's four laws you have to keep in addition to believing in Jesus. But that's not what that was about. You see, the the things that James was asking the Gentile Christians to do were the things that were necessary for Jewish Christians to have table fellowship with Gentiles. What James is suggesting is we needed to get everybody together and share a meal together. We needed to share a meal together around a common table as one people, as one body. In order to do that, we had to honor each other in our differences. Well, it was soon after that this plan of James got put to the test. In Galatians chapter 2, you'll hear it read in just a few moments, we hear about this. There's an encounter between Peter and Paul. And we don't know for certain if this encounter took place before this general conference that James led in Acts 15, or if it took place after. But as you read carefully in Galatians, it kind of sounds like it came after. And given the fact that in this story, Judaizers are at the table with Gentiles, it suggests that it had to have come after. So I'm going to proceed in that kind of way. What happened after was that there was a big old potluck. That's my word for it. A big old potluck in the church of Antioch. Kind of like the potluck we had last Sunday, our all-church day of thanks, when about 350 people showed up. And it was wonderful. And I'm grateful for all the people who helped. Well, they had a big old potluck and everybody showed up. There were Gentile Christians. There were Jewish Christians. There were Judaizers. And there was Peter and there was Paul. Now, Peter had showed up early. He already shared meals with Gentiles. But when it came time to gather everybody together, where do you think the Judaizers sat? They separated themselves, sat in the corner around their own little table. And I can almost picture them whispering about the Gentiles who were there, maybe even pointing some fingers. Now, Paul sat with the Gentile Christians. But Peter, where do you think he sat? He sat with the Judaizers. The scriptures say he was afraid of them. Kind of peer pressure, I suppose. He was afraid of them. And so he sat with them. And because he sat with them, other Jewish Christians sat with him. Barnabas and other leaders sat with him. And when Paul saw this, he became very, very upset and concerned. Because he understood that that the perception of the Gentile Christians would be that, that they were somehow of less importance, undermining the very decision that Peter helped to make. And so Paul decided to confront Peter. And because Peter's actions were public actions, he aligned himself with the Judaizers right there in front of all the Gentiles. Because there was a public action, Paul decided to take Peter on in public. And so he called him out. He said, Peter, what you are doing is wrong. What you are doing is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll add to that, 
Quit being a follower and be a leader. Stand up for what is right. You see, Peter, who was instrumental in the church deciding that all means all, that all are welcome, was struggling to understand what welcome means. What does it mean to truly welcome people into the church? And so his actions were giving testimony against the very thing that he was fighting for. Paul called him out, took him on. And let's pause and turn our attention now to the reading from Galatians chapter 2. This morning's scripture reading is from Galatians, second chapter, 11 through 14, and third chapter, verses 23 through 29. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood self-condemned, for until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith had come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed, yourself, clothed yourselves with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. and our Redeemer. Amen. What does it mean when I say welcome? When we say you are welcome here? I mean, certainly that's more than words. It's trying to say something about the kind of experience that you can expect to have in this place. Uh, I remember... Quite a few years ago, when as a pastor over at University United Methodist Church, we were getting ready to launch a young adult ministry focusing on college students. And we'd heard about a, a church in Southern California that was having great success reaching young adults. So we thought, maybe we could learn something from them. So Jerry and I planned a family vacation. We took our kids over to Southern California, had some fun. And then on Sunday, we went to that church to try to learn something from them. I remember arriving, and we went to the Welcome Center that was right out in front of the church. You couldn't miss it. 
And we kind of stood there a little bit awkwardly, kind of wondering what's going to happen next. And nobody talked to us. There was somebody behind the welcome counter having a wonderful conversation with a friend of his, but, but never acknowledged our presence. And so we gave up and we kind of wandered our way into the lobby, wandered around in there a little bit, looking out of place, I'm sure, and nobody talked to us. So we went into the sanctuary, we sat down, and nobody talked to us. And after worship, we got up and we went out and we hung out in the lobby for a while, and nobody talked to us. And we were on that church property for about an hour and a half that morning, and not a single person ever spoke to us. And I know that I stuck out like a sore thumb because I was clearly the oldest person who was there. But my children weren't. And nobody spoke to them either. And whatever else that I took away from that experience, I certainly did not take away a feeling of being welcomed. What would have helped? Well, hi, how are you? That wouldn't have hurt. It's nice that you came to church. That wouldn't have, wouldn't have hurt. But of course, feeling a sense of welcome is more than just a few words that are spoken. To truly feel like, like we're welcome in a place, well, it requires some radical hospitality. A congregation of people who work at this, who help make it possible for people to feel like their lives matter, that they're valued, that it's important that they came. And beneath this understanding of radical hospitality, there is another understanding that's at play. How it is that there is something that is the same about all of us. We all breathe the same air. We all occupy the same earth. We all are human beings. There is a something that is the same about all of us, and yet there is also something that is unique about each and every one of us, something that is different about each and every one of us. We all have our own set of experiences, our own customs and traditions and culture and ways of thinking, and all the stuff that has made up our lives have helped to make us the unique human being that each one of us has become. There's something that is unique about each and every one of us, and feeling welcome requires that both of those things be honored. Feeling welcome requires that what is the same about us is honored, but also what is unique about each and every one of us is being honored. Now, it's not always easy, you know, for a church to do that, to keep that balance of honoring what, both what's the same and what's unique about us. And sometimes we mess it up. Sometimes we overemphasize one at the expense of the other. Sometimes we overemphasize our sameness. You know, we say things like, well, people are people everywhere. We're all the same. We all want the same thing out of life. But now think about that for a moment. If I say to you, People are the same everywhere you go. We all want the same thing. We all have the same hopes and dreams. What I am kind of saying is 
that my life is a measure of what's ordinary and that you ought to want the same things that I want. You ought to have the same hopes and dreams that I have. But the reality is that we don't all have the same hopes and dreams. We don't all want the same thing out of life. There is something that is unique about each and every one of us. And if that isn't honored, then we are treating a person as maybe like half a person. There's something of their humanity that is not being recognized or honored. We're treating a person like half a person. And whatever the experience they might have would be, it certainly would not be one of being welcome. To be welcome requires that we honor both what is the same and what is unique about each and every one of us. But now sometimes we make the opposite mistake and we overemphasize our difference at the expense of our sameness. You know, we focus too much on the ways that we are different and when we focus too much on the ways we are different, it's very tempting, very easy for us to start to think that, well, all of those differences must mean that something's wrong with another person. I mean, that was what's going on in the scripture from today in Galatians and what was going on in the book of Acts. These Judaizers believed that there was something wrong with the Gentiles because they were different, right? They, they believed that they were superior and that the Gentiles were inferior because they are different. And we know how that happens. I mean, God loves us. And God has accepted us. And God is pleased with us. And, well, if you want God to love you and to accept you and to be pleased with you, then you ought to be like me. Right? And, and so, we start seeing differences as a problem that needs to be fixed. And the fix is simple. You got to be more like me. All are welcome becomes all are welcome to come and be like us. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of churches that fall into that very temptation that all are welcome to come and be like us. But there's nothing welcoming about that at all. We're failing to honor the sameness and the uniqueness of the human being. Now, the Judaizers would have defended themselves for sure. If you'd have asked, why are you superior and you think they're inferior? Well, they might not have used that language. Why are you better than them? They would have said, because... Well, they don't keep God's holy will and commandments. And you know, that might very well have been true. Maybe those Gentiles didn't keep God's holy will and commandments. But in the end, isn't that one of the ways that we're all kind of the same? I mean, St. Paul once said, all have fallen short of the glory of God, all stand in need of the grace of God. Peter arguing on behalf of the Gentiles, said, why are we going to place upon them the burden of the law when we ourselves cannot even keep it? I mean, the reality is that, that none of us here are perfect. 
We share that in common. None of us are perfect. And so, we can toss that whole idea of them being worse than us out the door. Because none of us here are perfect. Another way that, another thing we share in common is a need for some change in our life. Right? If we're not perfect, then there's room for some change in our life. The Judaizers had room for change in their life. Their spiritual arrogance is what needed to be changed in their life. We all have room for some change. But when it comes to change, I think it's important for us to keep in mind our role in it all. God is in the business of change. We are invited by God to be in the welcoming business. God is in the change business. It's God who changes people's lives. There's a whole lot of people here who can give testimony to the truth of that, how it is that God has worked in our lives to bring about change. God does not ask us to be to live somebody else's life. God does not ask us to be in control of somebody else, to tell somebody else how they have to live. God asks us to love people, to accept people, to welcome people. And welcome means welcome. Which brings me back to this idea of radical hospitality. How beneath this radical hospitality there's this recognition that there's something that is the same about us and there is something that is different or unique about us and how honoring both of those things is important. And this idea of the sameness and difference, well, it's rooted in the very identity of the triune God in whose image we are created. I mean, God loves diversity. And God loves community. That's language we use to talk about God, the triune God, diversity and unity. And created in God's image, God loves diversity. God loves unity. And when we, in all of our diversity, are able to live together in unity as one body, we give witness to the triune God in whose image we have been created. And all are welcome by our triune God. And welcome means welcome. Each one of you here, each one of you here, right now, you are a beloved child of God, beautiful to behold. Not because you are like me. Not because you're like somebody else. Because you are you. The unique person God has created you to be. You are a beloved child of God, beautiful to behold. With all the stuff that you bring as a part of your life, with all the ups and downs and the trials and the tribulations and the good and the bad that has been your life right here and right now, you are a beloved child of God, beautiful to behold. You have been accepted by God. You are loved by God. And in God's house, you are welcome. And welcome means welcome. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Amen. Amen.